Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Marion Nolivant here in Portland, Oregon. I'm Michael Rogg from Top Shelf Craft, currently in Krakow. And today we're talking to Andrew Fairley from Mutual. Andrew, welcome aboard. Hello, thank you. Yeah, and we're going to be talking about the EU's new GDPR regulations and what those mean to web developers. But before we get into that, we would normally have uh, some additional co-hosts on here. Normally we'd have Patrick and Jonathan and we've got Lauren Dorman on board who was all excited to talk about this, but somebody, somebody chose to be the center of the universe and decided that we needed to change when we're recording it. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I if I can can let that exact phrasing fly. I'm going to be on a plane on Friday, so I was like, "Hey, what if we did it on Thursday?" To which Andrew promptly responded by changing the date and not seeing if anybody else could make it. So now I feel awful because I really like Lauren and I have really been looking forward to her getting on this podcast. Yeah, don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. She's about, only about Yeah, she's only in Germany. She's it would only have been her debut. Like don't feel bad, Michael. Right. Right. I do. I feel I feel awful and Because Lauren, Andrew when you listen, date, you feel awful? I do. I do. <laughs> and so Lauren, when you listen to this podcast episode, yeah. please just know how awful I feel and please come on the podcast soon. Yeah. Well, anyway, let, let's <laughs> <laughs> I, I am at least physically residing in the EU at this moment. Right. Did so you, when you were a kid, did, did you have like issues playing in the sandbox with others? Like you would grab every Tonka toy and stuff? Not your face. Nobody likes you. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll take that. All right. Let, let's get down to what we're talking about. So we're talking about the, uh, the EU's GDPR and... Andrew, if you were, you know, out herding sheep somewhere and someone came up to you and said, hey, what is this EU GDPR thing? What would you tell them? The bane of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so what it is really is that um, all, everyone who lives in Europe is protected by the European Convention of Human Rights and the GDPR, which means, uh, I think it means the General Data Protection Regulation. It um, does. Just protects people from businesses being naughty with their rights to privacy. Um, so, so a way of thinking about it is that businesses were being a bit naughty. Facebook and the like were just using data however they wanted. Um, and the GDPR um, ensures that companies, online or offline, it's not an online law, it affects all businesses, um, uh, all shapes and sizes, Um to just make sure they're using it responsibly and with permission. Right. So the, and this is a fairly large set of regulations, um, of which a subset of which will be affecting uh, we as web developers, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, as web designers, as companies, we'll have to do a lot of things. But as right. developers um, building websites, there's not that much for us to do. It's it's really giving our customers a nudge here and there. You need to be aware of this. You need to be aware of that. And that's not really even our responsibility. That's, that's really just being a good, a good, nice agency for people. Um, so they, they put their best foot forward. But it is the responsibility, but on the most part, 
of the of the actual company whose website it is to be responsible for this. Right. So let's say that um, so this is a EU regulation, but let's mm-hmm. say that you happen to live in a country that oh I don't know was one of two countries on the planet that didn't use sensible units for measuring things, right? <laughs> and, you know, maybe maybe you live in a country that uses, you know, things like feet and inches and, you know, other ridiculous uh, units. And, you know, how does it affect us? Like, if we're living outside of the EU, how does that affect us? So if you're, if you're keeping data, personal data in particular of anyone who's in the EU. They don't even need to be an EU citizen. Michael at the moment for being here is protected by this law, um, I think, <laughs> by by storing data of mm-hmm. EU people. Um, yeah. you, you, you have to comply. Um, the way they pitch it is if you want to do business here, you play by the rules. Um, and I think that's probably fair enough, but it gets a little bit a little bit foggy when you when you start to think, well, what about email signups? Um, right. There's nothing really stopping you. If you're an American website, there's nothing stopping EU people subscribing to your newsletter. But then you're you're controlling EU citizens' data. Um, so at that point, you have to be GDPR compliant. And I think it's probably just easier for everyone if people just assume we probably have to be GDPR compliant. Right. Yeah. I, this is kind of a funny story. So uh, in, in a past life, I ran a, a software company, and I think it was maybe like maybe 15 years ago, something like that, um, the EU passed some kind of regulation where, uh, and they sent us like an official letter um, that basically said that we needed to collect sales tax for any EU citizen that bought our software online. And it was crazy because, you know, we, what's that, Michael? The VAT, the value added tax. Right. And it was crazy because, um, it wasn't like it was a, a flat tax where we could just say, okay, you know, if you're in this particular region, it's X percent, you know, um, it was different for not just every country, but regions inside the country. And we looked at it and we're just like, nah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like we're not doing that. Uh, we're not going to become your tax collector, like forget about it. And then nothing yeah. ever became of it. Um, but this seems like it might be something that we got to pay a little more attention to, right? Well, some, something did come of it, right? Because we're still charging VAT to our EU clients. Um, and, and you now can actually like, um, consolidate your VAT and be registered through one country and have them do the accounting for all the other countries. But that's another podcast. Right. Um, but I, I think what's, you know, a magical thing about this act is, that it does unite all of the EU member states consistently. And it is one law that applies the same way to all 28 member states of the EU. Um, And so we don't actually have to juggle 28 countries worth of privacy regulations. This is it, which is really nice. Yeah. So Andrew, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, even though my parents thought I should be a lawyer because of how much I argued with them. Um, (laughs) So how do I, as a developer, look at this and understand, like, what pieces of this matter to me? 
I think that first thing you said is, by the way, the most important thing that as a developer, you should be saying all the time to your clients, this isn't legal advice, but dot, dot, dot. Right. Um, and I'm saying that on pretty much every email for the last month. Um, <laughs> Do you have a boilerplate you copy and paste? Pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. It's like, don't sue me, but you need to do this. Right. Yeah. I think the probably the first first thing to understand is the principles behind it. Um, okay. And once you understand them, uh, most things fall into place quite quickly. There's, um, b- before I do go into that, it's probably worth explaining that the law doesn't really describe things like cookies or emails or things like that too often um, right. because it's a, it's a legal framework. It's really designed to be applied to anything. Um, yeah, that's, so if that's I, the thing, Andrew. Like when I was looking at this and trying to make sense of this, I'm like, this isn't a tech spec. <laughs> you know, like what am I supposed to yeah. do? Yeah, yeah. That, that's what really made me struggle with it as well. I, yeah. I kept command F cookie. Couldn't find anything. Right. Um, so, so it kind of needs a little bit of interpretation. And we've spoken to a bunch of solicitors uh, in preparation, oh. and everyone gives you slightly different advice. I think the for us all to be realists, it's going to change. Like the interpretations are going to be clearer right. once this is uh, applied and once people are starting to get um, the government knocking on their door, um, which I don't think will be fine straight away. I think it'll be, hey, could you change this, please? Hmm. Um, I, I think it'll become clear then. But but for now, let's go through the general principles. So, Oh, and for, in, for anyone in the yeah. US, um, solicitors is lawyers. That's lawyers. Yeah. Oh, sorry. In, no, 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 no. It, it's totally fine. I'm just providing the uh, the translation. In in our country, solicitors are people that get arrested, and you know, depending yeah, on I your mean, opinion it's the same of here to be yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, depending on your opinion of lawyers, maybe it's the same there. A- anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So actually, I, let me interject real quick because you know you said where do we start, um, and I think that we're about to talk about the principles in the document. Um, and we've already kind of talked about the scope, which is if you touch what could be uniquely identifiable data of any EU citizen, uh, then then it applies to you. Um, but I think where you start um, is you figure out what your role is uh, mm. in, in with respect to this law. And there's there's two roles that the law cares about um, that that it defines, which is that you can be a controller or you can be a processor of data. Um, and everything else, all the principles and all of the requirements are relative to whether you are a controller or a processor of data. And in many cases, you are actually both. Um, but that's step one for me, kind of you know, figuring out how do I fit in this is, am I a controller, which means um, I am the one using the data, I am deciding what gets collected and why um, and when, or am I a processor of data, meaning that I'm storing the data and doing things with it on behalf of a controller. And in, in lots of cases, you you could be both. Um, but first figure out who you are, and then everything else is relative to that. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. touching on what Andrew mentioned earlier and what you just said here, I mean, I think it's a really important thing to keep in mind is that if your clients come to you and say, you know, make us GDPR compliant, I I mean, I guess my response would be like, that's not really my job <laughs> from the point yeah. of view is of that, you know, I can implement whatever technical things need to be implemented. But 
as per what Andrew mentioned, like I'm not a lawyer. I, I don't know how to interpret these things. I don't know, um, you know, so really there would need to be some, um, either some guidelines for them to be following or some legal representation that would come down with the determinations of what you need to do. And then you'd be able to implement something. But uh, Andrew, yeah. I'm, I'm really interested in uh, what you were going to tell us about the uh, the general principles. Yeah. So sorry, just before that, just to build on yep. Michael's point, uh, um, I think generally for, for us web design development agency folk, it's generally going to be as an agency, we're controllers. So we control our clients' data. So mm -hmm. we might have a CRM of our clients. So we're controlling that aspect. Um, but broadly, when we talk about uh, our, the, the work that we're doing for clients, the client's the controller. Right. Um, and, and we'd be a processor. Um, and I, I think a way to approach it might be if you have access to someone's CMS, um, you're probably a processor. You could log in at any point and look at people's personal data. Mm. Yep. Um, and at that point, the, the clients really should have an agreement with you called a data processing agreement. It's sometimes called a data processing addendum. Um, that basically just outlines, yeah, yeah, we got access, we're going to be responsible, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, but so, so, so that's that's the thing now. So with the general principles, um, I don't have the exact list in front of me. Um, it's all legalese, uh, but broadly speaking, it's that you're going to be processing data um, lawfully within the within the EU. Um, you're going to do it fairly. So I think by fairly they mean <clears throat> that you're not going to collect it for newsletters and then sell it to company A, B, and C. Oh, I thought um, that was named after you. It was. It was. <laughs> uh, um, and that is going to be transparent. So you have to um, you have to declare what you're using this information for, and you have to ask permission for those specific and explicit um reasons um and then when you when you have that explicit consent to use people's data um you can only process it within that limited uh region that, that, that remit that someone's given you um so i'll take the example again of a newsletter if i signed up for a company newsletter you sending me um sending me a, a newsletter about your sister company probably isn't legit i i didn't ask for that that's probably falls without uh, outside of the, the remit that I gave the company. Um, something that's slightly more difficult for us to manage, um, particularly as developers, is that data has to be as accurate as possible and as up to date as possible. Um, and people should be able to remove data or right. change data if they think it's incorrect. Um, and part of that is people won't know if it's incorrect until they have the data. Um, so people have the rights to ask, what data do you have on me? Um, and as developers, we probably have to make sure that the sof software that we're using lets us get that data out quite quickly, mm. um, else it's going to be a, a real pain for us. Right. Um, you know, fortunately, like most email um, email form systems, so if we use like Soulspace Freeform, for example, um, they, they, they let you export the entries. You can view them all through the control panel. Um, but no, but so now, is this, is this something we as web developers have to worry about, or isn't this something that the client whose website we built would then need to be able to go in and do that. Uh, absolutely. I think it's the client's responsibility. Okay. Um, so the end user is going to be asking the controller, which is the client. Um, but if we don't give the controller those tools, they're just going to ask us anyway. Right. Right. Um, so I think it ultimately comes down to us um, to, to at least ask the client, what tools are you needing? I, I think this often 
retrofitting websites with GDPR compatibilities is, is one matter, but going forward, I think this is just more upfront in the project. We say to be GDPR com compliant, what do you need us to do? Right. Um, and for the client to dictate that. And I think that's um, a really, really important point. And I'm probably reiterating myself, but I'm, I'm doing it because I think it's super important, um, which is that, yes, there are certain things that we as developers are going to need to be aware of and implement, but ultimately the, the regulations really affect the business more than they affect us, right? In, in terms so if you're, if, you're, if you're a processor, you are also liable. If, if a week, um, so say for example, you did the hosting mm -hmm. and the hosting got hacked and all the database got leaked um, because of a flaw on your side of things, you're, you're also responsible for that and you could be liable for the fines as well. Oh, all the more reason to spin yeah. it up with Forge and <laughs> let, well, let someone else handle the provisioning and make sure that the client owns everything, right? Sure, but putting it in the cloud um, or, or giving it to a vendor uh, actually specifically does not absolve you of the responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, this is there is a named role uh, for the sub-processor, which is a processor contracted by another processor. Um, and so just because you stick it in the cloud or just because you, you know, hire an as-a-service vendor to do it, um, doesn't mean you you don't have to be uh, knowledgeable about this stuff. Well, here here's the fun thing about it is that you know, as with any legal framework, um, some of it being sorted out is just you know it's it's going to have to go to court in terms of who is responsible for what, and and that will kind of um, I'm assuming end up being what determines uh, what really needs to be done or not. But I'm thinking of a scenario like where okay, I've got a client in the EU. Um, I spin up a VPS for them. I use Forge to, conv uh, to provision it with Ubuntu 16.04, and I use all the best practices at the time, and then some vulnerability is found in some piece uh -huh. of software that is on that server. Who's on the hook? Sounds like you should have insurance. Yeah. Yeah, if, hey, if you're... A freelancer, and you don't have professional insurance right. here in America. Go get some. But no, like, no. You, okay, you know what so, I'm saying? Like, if the actual, let's say, the flaw is in like OpenSSL, right? That sure. we had nothing to do with, and and it was a standard practice at the time. Are we are we on the hook for that? I I, I don't know if you would be. I, again, I think you're right, Andrew. That this would be down to precedence in court. Yeah, right. But I think I think broadly, if you're if you've got an ongoing engagement with the clients as the controller, right. you're probably responsible for the bits that you do. If you set that up three years ago and you walked away and you've not taken their money since and you don't have an ongoing ag agreement with them, it's probably them. You're probably not a processor at that point. Right. I see. Yeah. So it's well, it's up to you to then, if you are on a retainer, then maybe it would be up to you to make sure that things are kept up to date. But I guess I'm, I'm, I'm thinking yeah. about and you know i'm probably getting ahead of myself but i'm thinking about like zero day exploits where you know we did we did followed best practices and we're diligent about it but this exploit just came out and and boom you know sure. so a, a big part of gdpr is if you if you have good documentation and you can prove you had best practices and you right. were caught off guard because of this thing people probably aren't going to punish you i mean right. realistically is is they're not going to bother with that <clears throat> unless you're a big isp um, who's leaked all of the data, right. all the websites, all of their customers have ever visited. It's, it's just not going to happen in the real world, I think. Right. Um, 
It's just saying it's interesting from an intellectual point of view, for me anyway. Like, let's say that it is a a big bank or whatever, um, and they are following best practices, but it ends up being that some piece of software that they were using had a critical flaw. Like, it, it almost seems unfair that they would be on the hook for it, but they probably would be, you know? Yeah. Well, so so first of all, let's, yeah. let's not make. I think we've made an assumption that I want to back us out of, which right. is that everyone listening to the podcast is a freelance developer. True. Right. So a lot of people listening to the podcast are freelancers. A lot of are in agencies. Many are developers embedded in exactly these kinds of organizations. Very true. Right? And and so um, you know, I think the general gist is no matter like it's everybody's thing to be actively knowledgeable about, right? And so whether or not legally you are the the corporate entity that is, you know, the the buck stops here, um, a a huge part of the intention of this act, and, and they spell it out this way, is that top to bottom in every organization, like privacy by design is the way we want to operate. And, and privacy as a default is the way we want to operate. And so it does become the developers, um, you know, the onus is on the developer as much as the onus is on um, everybody in the business and the legal side. You know, the developer is not going to get sued. Um, it's the company that's going to get sued. Um, yeah. But but it's still, it still is, is everybody's responsibility. But also, I mean, when you look at the, the part of the act that deals with the – you know, the penalties for, for various bad things that may happen. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty clear that, um, just because there is a breach or a leak or, or something happens that shouldn't, um, that in itself is not the, um, the thing that will get punished, right? It's, um, it's were you transparent about it? Were mm. you quick to act on it? Were you using the best practices that you had available to you at the time? Were you negligent or willfully malevolent? Right? Um, like fines, the fines and penalties as spelled out by this law are actually like a last resort. And, yeah. and, and they are quite, they are quite hefty. Like I think it's like <laughs> three or 4% of your global turnover yeah, as a is the maximum, you know, so, so the penalties are worth taking notice of. Um, but there's like all these steps that happen during an investigation of, you know, or an inquiry that have nothing to do with damages caused or what the bad thing is that happened and have everything to do with, were you doing your best to abide by these principles and and be transparent and proactive about this yeah. stuff? Yeah, and I before think, they ever start talking I, about fines, I think that's some really good reassurance. And this kind of reminds me, and I, I don't know how many uh, people who are uh, here or listening were around for it, but it kind of reminds me of the the whole Y two K thing, where there was just absolute hysteria leading up to the Y2K, but the, the actual mm-hmm. event ended up, you know, kind of not being the biggest deal. And I, does it seem fair that that might be the case here as well, Andrew? I think the ICO, who are the Information Commissioner's Office here, who um, who are basically the people who will be handing out the fines, they, we've already got a law very similar to this in the UK and across Europe called the Data Protection Act. Um, the maximum fine's never been given out. Mm. Um, 
and the the, the rule is kind of uh, sorry not the rule the the kind of the way they approach things is we're going to give you guidance like you have to change this this isn't cool don't do this you got to do this um and uh, like like michael said a fine is very much a last resort um i think there's a lot of hysteria at the moment because it's so difficult to to kind of understand um what gdpr actually means for people right um, because it's a legal framework, you know, we're like, yeah, we're not it's, it's, not, it's not installing a new composer package. It's right. like we're understanding the law. It's, it's very difficult for us. Um, right. And, and you know, we've got lots of, um, for our clients in particular, this is all people I've talked about for the last few months. It's it's very much the, the thing people are talking about, uh, with our clients, at least. Um, and so I think it's just, it's, it's a little bit of a bubble. And I think it's, it's important for us to take a step back and just go, realistically, we're probably not going to get fined. We just need to show progress. We need to make sure that we understand the principles and we're doing the principles and we respect people's privacy. Um, and if we just prove that we're good guys and we make real steps towards it, I really don't think you're going to get a fine on day one. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and the fact the fact that it's all anybody's writing about, like, we should actively try to shift the focus towards kind of a more worthy topic of discussion, which is like, like, <laughs> what's the point, right? Like, this is like, this is what needs to happen for the world of privacy. And it, it actually, it surprises me, actually, that there is so much hysteria around it. Because um, it's this whole thing, um, all of GDPR is just kind of a follow on to the data protection directive from 1995. Yeah, right. you know, with you're like, absolutely right. With very minimal editing, like there's, there's, it, it's really just bringing it in line, like you said, with all 28 countries. It's just making sure everyone's doing the same thing, uh, but right. it's not, it's not that different. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so Michael, so it, it, is Michael is making me laugh when you're saying that we should bring this around to a more useful or productive discussion because my immediate instinct was to do the total, the exact opposite of that. <laughs> Which is, no, I, which wait, is, wait, wait, I, no, 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 be, be, no, I just, for, just for the fun of it. Um, I, if you, if you were betting people, who do you think would be the first company that would get the maximum fine? Would it be Google, Facebook, or Twitter? Uh, Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. That's what yeah, I'm, that's, I that's what I'm thinking too. But, but actually, <laughs> actually, I don't, I don't even think it would be Google or Facebook or Twitter. No. Um, I think it would be it like would Cambridge be, Analytics or some company it like would that. Be, uh, it would certainly be freaking Cambridge Analytics. Oh, yeah. No, it would, be, it would be someone, you know, um, there's a lot of verticals that already have all this stuff built in as a corporate culture, like healthcare and banking, right? All of they, these all have specs for security and privacy by design. Um, there's other companies like Facebook or Google that are super nimble about the way they handle tech. Um, I don't think I don't think I would worry about them. It's it would be somebody like Coca Cola mm. or like GM or like somebody who has a ton of people's information, but just as a corporation maybe doesn't think about the the weight of the information that they have. Or it could um, be a government. Say, you know, I say I say Coca Cola or GM, and I'm not picking on them because I'm sure that they have great corporate cultures and fantastic. They're never going to sponsor our podcast now. Thanks a lot, Michael. But it's, but it's going to be, it's going to be one of those companies who like is not really aware. I think it might be, 
I think it might be more. I think it might be a smaller company than that. Mm. Uh, if, if we're taking the example that it's uh, yeah, to make absolutely. an example out of someone, um, if it's to make an example out of someone, I think they'll choose someone who can't fight back but are big enough to make an excuse out of. Um, or, or it could be a government. Out of. It could be a government, whether it's yeah, a it fe- be, yeah. federal or local or you know whatever you know. Well, yeah. let's so let's yeah. let's kind well, of and, and also we should really clarify the EU is not like sitting perched ready to pounce on people with a bunch of fines like that is neither written into the law nor is it the way that the regulators have been talking about it like uh i forget uh, uh, what her name is i think she's the the privacy regulator from ireland um gave a speech to a bunch of tech companies um in in uh, the bay area not too long ago and literally said look we are not interested in like policing you with a bunch of fines like if you are just transparent about this stuff that is 99 percent of everything right yeah that's pretty much what the ico is saying in the uk as well so let, we've i think talk- that's an important point as well though that um it's not the eu who will be enforcing this it'll be an organization in each country mm-hmm. enforces it and they'll do it in slightly different ways um so here in the uk it's the ico um yeah. but so let me ask you a question. So I've got a, a small business that what we do is we sell tanned buffalo hides and we're based out of Nebraska. Do, do I care at all about any of this? Maybe I occasionally I have someone from Europe that wants to buy one of my fine tanned buffalo hides. Um, do I need to worry about it? You probably don't care about it, but you probably should mm. if you want to do business there. Um, but like I say, I, I just don't think it's going to be, I don't think they're going to be knocking on some Nebraskan's door. Um, it's it's going to be, it, there's bigger fish to fry, right. um, basically. But the, the I, I, I'll, I'll skip ahead a little bit. Um, no disrespect to anyone from Nebraska, by the way. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but the answer is yes. The answer is yes, you need to care about this, but Uh-oh. the answer is also it, it is not actually going to take you that much effort or trouble to care about it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think yes. the, the reason to care for it might not be. I mean, there's the ethical one, of course. Right. Um, right. But I think from a larger perspective, I think it's going to be a marketing thing. So, mm. for example, um, with forms. So, say we've got a newsletter sign-up form. Oh, actually, let's take the example of a contact form. Um, what, what we're seeing more and more is that there's – and what the law asks for is explicit consent, basically. So you'd have a checkbox saying, yes, I want to do blah, but it's not pre-checked. I have to tick it myself. And if you're asking for me to subscribe to a newsletter and to sell it to your um, partner companies and to do X and to do Y, there should be different checkboxes. These things, I think, are going to become the new green padlock um, mm. in your browser, the secure button. I think users are going to go, "If what, this site looks fishy. Like, why, why haven't they disclosed what I'm doing? And I, I think... Because the web's international, U.S. citizens are going to start seeing this also. Right. So they're going to go on U.S. websites and go, this feels a bit dodgy. Yeah. Yeah, and U.S. Yeah. companies are going to start, you know, the big U.S. companies that have multinational presences are going to start implementing it. So when they get, when people get used to seeing it from mm-hmm. Google or Facebook or whatever, uh, and then they go to my, my bison uh, hide shop and they don't see it, they're going to be like, hmm. You know, hmm. I don't really know about yeah. this place. Right? And, and I think that I, I think that that is exactly what they're hoping for is that citizens will 
self-police this stuff. Right. Like citizens will become accustomed to having the benefits of these data rights and they will self-police the stuff. Yeah. So Andrew, I, yeah, I think so. we've, we've had a pretty nice discussion or overview of what this uh, thing is. And it's, it's not a looming Armageddon, you know, don't freak <laughs> out. Um, and also the onus is not going to be on you as a web developer to interpret the law. Right. But what, what are things that we as web developers are going to have to uh, tackle uh, in terms of, for instance, uh, cookies? You know, we already touched yes. on forms. So what about cookies? Well, yes, yeah, so I think there, uh, there's kind of four areas um, right. that, that, that you need to focus on. You're, you're right, cookies is probably the, the major one. Um, and yeah. I think it's the major one because a few years ago we had the EU cookie law, which right. is kind of is the sequel to um, uh, the rubbish sequel. That's terrible. The <laughs> the other ones are forms, uh, newsletter forms, um, e-commerce checkout forms, all forms like that. Um, well, let's let's cover them one by one. I I publicly humiliated myself by messing did. up on the whole <laughs> <laughs> messing up on the whole. I was conflating the EU cookie law with the the new GDPR stuff. Um, but let's take them one by one. So forms. Uh, what do we need to do about forms? Be, before we do that. Can we talk about what identifiable, identifiable information yes. is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Because I really think that's the foundation, right? Because yeah. this, is, this is sort of the difference between the, the directive in 1995 and the, the directive that we have now, the law that we have now, is like the major evolution of it is defining a little bit more uh, conservatively what identifiable information yeah. So tell tell us what identifiable information would be, Andrew. So as I understand it, it's it's the obvious stuff. So it's your name, your phone number, your email address. Um, something that as developers we should be aware of, and actually maybe more designers than developers, is if, if you're doing a B2B website, so you're only dealing with other businesses, even Andrew at madebymutual.com, for example, that's not my personal, uh, that is a personal email address, even though it's a corporate email um, so things like that, but then there's, there's a couple that's a little bit more hidden things like an IP address is considered a personal piece of information. Hmm. Um, as developers, we'd probably go, no, an IP address can be used by five different people. Um, but as far as they're concerned, you could identify someone, um, through it. Hmm. Um, I, I, I think it's, if you can, if you can identify a person by putting together these pieces of data is personal data. I think it's probably a, a, a safe way to describe it. Yeah, it, it's location data, it's biometrics, it's, um, you know, like there was, it, it actually is quite broad. Like, does anybody remember the Lotus Marketplace case from the 90s? Do not. Okay, so Lotus Marketplace was basically this big library of, of open source census data. Um, and it was all uh, pseudonymized, um, like or, or anonymized, um, except that there was so much data that basically you could look at like where someone lived and figure out how much money they were making, or look at um, their family size and their address and like pretty much figure out who they are. Um, and so the fact that it was anonymized wasn't actually very helpful because you could use this data to like triangulate really specific things about people. And, and so I think like 
the way that, that this law is written, like info that relates to an identified or identifiable living person, that is way broader than I think we think of um, just off top of mind, like names and IP addresses. Like we collect a lot of data about people. And if we really sat around and pieced the puzzle together, like so much of it can can be combined into an, an identification. Well, that's that's what uh, a lot right. of digital marketers do for their career. Absolutely. And that's why we have this law. <laughs> I, th- I think that's a really important point, Michael, because there's, well, we'll go into it when we talk about cookies, but Google Analytics is a big one that's quite a big, a bit of a gray area. Uh, but the reasons you just you just explained are reasons why it might need explicit consent, because sure, with Google Analytics, you can anonymize the IP address, but there's so much more information on there. You've got towns, you've got cities, you've got what pages they go to. You, you could identify people quite easily um, sure. through, the, through this uh, metadata. Yeah, and it's like uh, the other story I saw was something about like um, soldiers wearing Fitbits and locations. If you heat mapped the locations that they were sharing, it basically gave you an outline of all the like top secret military bases. <laughs> yeah, that was, that. Was, that was wild. Like, so it's, Strange so it's, consequence. it's presumably innocuous stuff. And I think that's why rather than like, we shouldn't start from the practical. We need the practical, but we have to start from the first principle, which is the core requirement of this law is to really take responsibility for knowing what data you have, why you have it, what you could potentially do with it, and then being really transparent about that towards your customers. Now, uh, um, Marion, you've been listening to us for a little bit here. I want to see if you have uh, anything that you want to chime in on here in terms of what we're talking about. Not so far. Well, I do. <laughs> okay. Uh, so my going back to your your uh, Nebraska hide company. Right. Suppose you you know suppose it somebody decided that it was being egregiously irresponsible with personal information of people in the EU who are buying a lot of these hides. Mm -hmm. What teeth does the law have in it to come after somebody in Nebraska? (laughs) I I think my my guess is that they would start um, by, you know, based on what Andrew has been mentioning here, my guess is they would start by contacting the company and saying, hey, you know, we really would like you to do X, Y, or Z. Um, right. It's, and, it and sounds like it's not not, not going to start with fines right. or anything like that. No, no. But supposing your company got all America first dish and said, <laughs> we don't have to do this oh, and and uh, was refusing to cooperate. What are um, and clearly it's, it's the ethical thing to do. But are there teeth in the law that can come after you there in Nebraska? I'm my my guess is, especially for the small players, there's absolutely nothing that they could do. Um, for yeah. the for the larger players that had, um, you know, very lucrative presences in in various oh, places, they probably right. have leverage. And Coca Cola and right. and GM and so on. Yeah, they can come after. But but, but yeah, the guy in, uh, or girl or whatever in Nebraska could just go outside and load their shotgun and hold up their middle finger, and probably nothing would happen. You know? mm-hmm. Probably. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think well, something. I don't know if you saw Zuckerberg's uh, Congress no. thing. Um, oh yeah, I did see that. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was basically saying to the congressman, um, "Maybe you should think about having GDPR." 
Um, and I think it's being looked at internationally as this is a good foundation. This is this is a framework that we should and could use. Yeah. Oh um, yes. I personally, it, it, it could it could be that the U.S. adopts something quite similar, and I, at that point, it probably does become quite enforceable. Right. And in, I, in the and meantime, I, I hope that we do. I really hope that I, I hope that the 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 Facebook uh, thing has kind of opened people's eyes to the perspective where you know people yeah. really should have at the very least if someone is tracking you you should have the right to know what they know about you and you should have the right to change whatever data they have on you and you should have the right to get it deleted you know i i definitely yeah, agree with that you know i i actually so so i think it's unlikely sadly that the united states will get here anytime soon which is actually why i'm so excited for, for the EU to be leading the way in right. this. Um, but, but, you know, regarding your, your, your tan hiders or your hide tanners in Nebraska, they're bison um, hides. Yeah. The, the, so, so there's a, there's a, a legal concept around this, which is called long arm jurisdiction. And it, it refers to when a court from one jurisdiction, uh, tries to, um, you know, have some legal consequence in another jurisdiction. Um, and, if you look at the you know the precedents in various court cases, it's kind of a mixed bag right. um, as to how effective this is. I, I feel like um, having the weight of the entire EU behind it um, probably makes it a bit of a special case, right? It's like you know if you're some company from Germany and you want to sue me in Texas, like fine, do your best. <laughs> but you're, but you're going to be suing me probably in German court, right? Whereas like the EU, um, having the full weight of the EU behind it, like they're going to sue you in a federal court probably uh, is, I imagine how it would happen is, is whatever uh, regulating body from whatever member state is going to sue you in a United States federal court based on the GDPR law and the um, the assertion that they'll they'll have, uh, or the standing that they'll have, is you did business in our country, and therefore you have to respect the laws of our country, which is pretty consistently upheld uh, legally speaking. And and so I think that it probably, you know, in the event that you know you refused to respond to an inquiry and were like blatantly uncooperative, and it got to the point where they were needing to sue you. I sort of hope that it would have some some teeth, and I think that we'll you know wait and see the first time that happens. Um, but like, I really want this standard to right. be successful, and so this is one case. And I'm a pretty conservative guy, right? So long arm jurisdiction in general does not appeal to me most of the time. But like, this is one case where I really hope it works because right. if you screw me over with my private data, I want to be protected and like have the full weight of all 28 member states of the EU like behind me yeah. that would be awesome for the human race so I, I, I hope it works I I agree with you uh from the the perspective that you're coming from um because the the issue is that you know let's say it is just this one guy in uh, Nebraska that ends up leaking my data well we all know that once it's out on the internet, like it's just like it's everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it definitely will affect them. I'm skeptical that the long arm will actually stretch across the Atlantic in that manner, especially if we're talking about small players. But I do agree with you that uh, 
Um, I think the way that they're approaching this is they're trying to make it the new normal where a lot of the respectable businesses that we're used to dealing with um, all have this stuff in place and that will kind of force some of the smaller businesses to then get in line because people are then used to it, you know? So I think it's going to be yeah. more of a kind of soft power uh, way of, of making this all happen. Um, I agree. I, th I think it's quite a cultural thing. And I think yeah. also, I think, I think we're probably, although I don't think they've announced anything, I think in time in the next few years, we'll probably see Google do things like this website's not giving disclaimers about their cookies or right. they don't have a clear privacy policy or, and they start to probably lower the effectiveness of those um, of those websites on SERPs makes sense um, because 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 that would be a better user experience to just give people good GDPR compliant websites. Exactly, and that's Google's job. Exactly, Google's job is giving people what they want, and if people shift and what they want is some kind of privacy protection, then Google's going to give it to them. You know, so absolutely. I, yeah. So, so I think it'll be that kind of stuff. I think it'll yeah. be ultimately people who don't play ball will just be terrible in the marketplace. They'll right. just be out of touch. They won't understand what people want anymore. Right. Um, they, they might even continue hope. using old uh, imperial units. <laughs> <laughs> so do we, to be fair. So I think it's something that's probably important to the other British people who might be listening, right. is that even after Brexit, this applies to us. Right, right. So, uh, so don't, don't, don't trick yourself there. <laughs> so let's, let's leave Nebraska. Um, and get back to what we're talking about in terms of what we as web developers are likely uh, going to have to be implementing in terms of, you know, forms and cookies and notices and, and all that kind of good stuff. So, Andrew, what, what are we going to have to do on our forms? So on forms, so let's start with, um, let's start with consent. Um, so like I say, for every uh, use, effectively, um, that you're collecting data for, get consent. So mm -hmm. we want you to be in our newsletter get consent. We want to share your information with trusted partners, get consent. Um, arguably, I want to put you in our CRM, get consent. Uh, that's that's perhaps a little bit over the top, but um, I think that's an important thing. But And the, the, the really important thing there is to speak in plain English, hmm. um, put disclaimers in line, don't hide it all in a privacy policy. Right. Um, let people click out to a privacy policy for more information. Um, Nobody does. But be clear, be transparent. <laughs> um, don't opt in by default. Don't do things like by checking, you don't agree to dot, 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 dot. Uh, it has to be a check equals yes, I agree. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that's those aspects. The, the other aspects are explain why you're collecting data. So if you're collecting someone's phone number, just have a label next to it saying, we're collecting this because of X, Y, and Z. Right. Um, being transparent is a big aspect of this. And I've um, seen people implement that in a clever... I'm, I'm sorry, I was just saying that I've seen people implement that in a clever way where, where next to the field it will say, like, why, with a question mark. Yeah, And you yeah, just absolutely. click it. You I click it, and it gives you a nice explanation of why they want that particular piece of data, you know? Yeah, and, you know, I, I, again, I think we'll start to see this quite a lot, and I think users will start to go, why isn't this website saying this? Right. Um, the other things that we should be looking at is um, this goes into more of the sub-processor um, aspect that Michael was discussing. But if you send your emails through Postmark, for example, so if when you click that form, it sends it through Postmark, you know, Postmark now has that personal data. Um, are they a trusted data processor? Mm. Um, do you have a data processing agreement with them? Um, can you delete emails from there if the customer's requested to be deleted? Um, that kind of stuff is probably more more client side, 
but stuff that you should be aware of. Um, on on the control panel side, so I'm, I'm going to use the example of Freeforms by Space for the craft because that's the one I use quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we can make it so the user can't access the control panel aspect, but that's kind of rubbish because the so by user I mean the client user. Right. <clears throat> the client really ought to be able to log in and delete data if they've had data requests, mm-hmm. data deletion requests, um, things like that. Um, I think that's probably um, understanding the essence, like Michael was saying. That's probably what it comes down to in forms. I think different organizations will have different policies, and our job is to be instructed by those organizations to develop stuff. Um, right. But I think generally it's be transparent. Don't ask for more than you need. Um or in other words, only ask for what you need. Um, get consent, be transparent, and don't abuse. Yeah, and um, these so all, I think forms these is all, probably quite simple. These all sound like just being treating your potential customers or, or customers decently. You know, I mean, like, yeah, these all yeah, just seem yeah, like don't be a jerk. You know, it kind of is. It kind of is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, for, for, from a development perspective, this is all really easy. We put a couple right. new fields in. We add a few labels here and there. Um, we make sure that if we think that, uh, so I, I'm getting a little bit perhaps opinionated here um, in as much as I, I take the opinion that if we see a customer's doing something that's a bit dodgy, we should tell them. Mm. Um, should oh, absolutely. Say, that, that's, that's not cool. It's absolutely. not illegal, but it's not cool. Um and if you change this, it'll be a better user experience. You'll probably get more people completing the form because you've not been a weirdo. Right. Yeah. And yeah. The, the, all of these things strike me as best practices, right? Like if you're Absolutely. setting out to implement a contact form and someone was give, you know, and I was giving someone a list of things to do for best practices, like these would all be in there, you know? Yeah, sure. it, it really is. Um, yeah. And so, I think uh, we should want to do this stuff as an expression of decency towards our fellow humans. Right. But like, I think the purpose of the checklist is frequently common sense isn't, and it's not because we're bad people and we don't want to be doing the best things that we could, but it's like we have a lot of balls to juggle when we're building these technical things, and it's nice to have a checklist to tell us, you know, here is what you need to be able to do. Like this is the definition of good um or and and good enough towards data privacy you know you can't always rely on just your your good intentions sometimes you need yeah. a standard and and this yeah. is this is the standard um one other thing on forms by the way that i'll interject is um we mentioned deleting data um but but another principle is um the ability to uh receive a copy of your data um mm. which means we need to be able to export it and give it to the customer and also um, the right to um, review and amend uh, data. Um, so if we tell them the data that they gave us and they're like, oh yeah, that's wrong, you need to change it, then we need the ability to like go back and edit the data that we have. And in our case, you know, Freeform allows us to do all of these things, which is, uh, which is lovely. So hmm. let, let me play devil's advocate for a second here. So mm-hmm. I work with a number of digital marketers and let's say that I'm presenting this to the, the client and the, the digital marketer comes in and says, oh, no, no, no. If you add these check boxes, people are less likely to, to give that information and then we can't track them and 
spam them and do other stuff with them? Like, what, what do we say to, to those people? So we have been taking an analogy that we use quite a lot is if you just take this offline, how does it feel? So, for example, if you were walking down your high street um, and someone with a clipboard started chasing you saying, give us your data, give us your data. And they followed you into shops and they forced you to do this. And they thought you would quite quickly punch that person. Yeah, they'd have um, a bad day if they did that to me. <laughs> so so I, I think the marketing kind of people that they've they've had uh, a couple of years where they've been able to do that. They've been able to follow people around the Internet and just be a bit dodgy. Um, and I think they just need to come back down to reality. I think that will start to happen when um, some examples have been made of larger companies. Um, I, I think um, I, I and I think, again, the argument would be the culture is going to change. Um, sure, you might you might get more value out of this now, but that's a short term game, right? Yeah, we, we got to talk about total cost of ownership, right? Because whatever um, whatever vig you've got from this short uh, from from some short term you know tricky thing that you're going to do, you know, is that actually valuable enough to outweigh? the potential cost of a very bad thing happening to you later because people realize that you're a sleazeball. Right. Um, well, you know, and, and, and it's and nice, it's nice to be able to say, you know, not, not just you should do this because it's the right thing or the nice thing to do, but because here's this law, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, right? like give them some, right. you know, give, give them something to be afraid of. Yeah. yeah I mean, also, also we should temper that with the, the opposite end, which is, um, you know, it's not like we have to be asking every five seconds, um, you know, a client for every single thing that we do with their data. Um, you know, the big, the big one, um, is the, the right to object to direct marketing, right? So if I say that you're giving me your email address so that you can log into my thing, but then I'm actually going to turn around and spam you, that's a big no, no. Mm. Um, you know, but any way that you use. All right. So, Andrew, why don't we talk about, uh, we, we kind of covered the, the forms thing, I think, pretty well. Mm. Um, what about cookies? Like, Because this seems to be, <laughs> maybe I'm saying this because I completely had this wrong, but this seems to be something that we're focusing on a lot. Um, I think I think you're right. Cookies is the, the probably the one that's in developers' minds. Right. Um, and I think before we go into the GDPR conversation about cookies, we mm -hmm. should be aware that there's another law coming out called the e-privacy regulation. All right. Um, and that replaces what we currently call the EU cookie law. Um, that was meant to come out on the same day. It was meant to be the 25th of May, but it's not happening. It's, it's probably more likely to be next year or the year after at this point. Um, gotcha. But, uh, but this is... this plays more into cookies and things like that. And then the current guidance that the EU are giving are, it will be great if browsers handled this, wouldn't it? Dot, dot, dot. Mm. Um, and they're kind of going, instead of websites having all these cookie notices, couldn't Chrome just do it? Like Chrome asks, are you okay to use location? Um, are you okay to set notification? So I, I think any conversation around cookies probably has a limited time to it. Um, in that next year or the year after, we're probably going to be redoing this again. But I think the principles are going to stay the same. Um, and those principles are the same with all aspects. So go ahead, Andrew. Yeah. So all I was going to say was, so my, my current site, um, has a couple cookies that it sets, um, for cookies that it's using just for day-to-day -day operations, things that don't, 
track anything about this particular person, I assume that those are okay and I don't have to worry so about those? They're, they're probably what we would call as, um, so things like PHP session cookies, is that what you mean? Something like that. And I also have um, for things like uh, font face observer and critical CSS and nothing having to do with the person, yeah. just how yeah, the site operates, you know? They're probably considered strictly necessary. So okay. you, you can set strictly necessary cookies, the, the, the cookies that the website needs to use. Mm -hmm. um, else it won't be a website. Um, they're probably cool. Um, you, you start yeah. to see there's, there's different groups of cookies. Um, everyone kind of calls these different things, but the way I describe them are things like functional cookies. Mm -hmm. um, so these are things like YouTube players. So if you've got a blog post and you've got a YouTube player within it, um, YouTube are going to set their own cookies and we have no right to force the user on force that on the user. Um, now I'll get into that a bit in a, in a moment. Um, and then there's performance cookies. Um, so things like Hotjar, um, mm. arguably Google Analytics. Um, and then there's targeting cookies, things like Facebook pixel or, um, what's the Google one called the, uh, Google, whatever. Um, the, these things that help double click. Adverts retargeting the double click uh, floodlights and that type of thing yeah so, so i kind of that's kind of how i categorize them personally it's the strictly necessary the website's not a website without these so we don't really need opt into that as long as it's not collecting data so if, data. If, yeah. if all well, my and, and it matters if, it matters whether that data ever leaves the browser right if you're using a cookie to you know tell your on-site scripts whether you've loaded a font that data is not collecting anything uniquely identifiable and yeah. it's never actually even being processed or stored by you. It's being processed and stored in the user's browser. Um, yeah. So that kind of thing makes a difference. Right. I think, so. I, think and I, I think that's a really important point. Yeah, that's what I wanted to kind of, uh, the reason I wanted to bring it up is there. there's a lot of hysteria around about, you know, cookies, GDPR, um, but the truth is that for a certain class of cookies, you don't have to do anything, right? I mean, they're I just. Think, right. I think it's. I think there's a conflation between personal cookies and right. cookies as a technology. Right. And I think it's. It's it, certainly we saw the EU cookie law um, that's currently in play. There was mass hysteria coming up to this, and then at the eleventh hour, it was um, they changed their minds basically, and they said, "Nah, implied consent's fine. Don't worry about it." Right. And I've been looking at just for these kind of operational things, I've been looking at just using the browser's local storage anyway. Um, yeah. So I, I think they, they still apply. I mean, you're right. It's, it's the same thing. That yeah. The law doesn't say cookies at all. It's, it's any data. Um, right, so I but, think that's a really important thing. But, but you're right. I mean, if that's not leaving the browser, if it's not being transmitted anywhere, right. eh, is yeah. that such a big deal? I, I would argue not, but... Because that's inherent. That's inherent in using local storage, right? Is that it's never leaving that particular browser. So, yeah. Again, the the point I just wanted to make is that for for a lot of sites that may not be doing any any kind of uh, you know tracking based on personal information, you may not have to change anything for the no, GDPR. You may not. Um, I would say you probably should disclose the cookies. Right. Um, but you probably don't need explicit permission for them. Yeah, you, um, yeah. yeah, you could put it up and if you wanted to be nice, you could just say this site uses cookies to operate. And then there's yeah, a little yeah. button that dismisses it and you're good. Um, yeah. But you, you uh, might I, not I even need that. I think that's probably true. I think that's probably true. Um, yeah. For, for, for a certain... Other kinds of cookies. 
Yeah, um, for a certain class of cookie, I'm saying, not for yeah. all of them. Yeah. So tell us about cookies yeah. that we do have to be worried about and might have to change uh, the information and consent that we uh, we present to the user. So the logic is exactly the same with forms. It's you you explain clearly what it is and you get opt-in. Um, and if they haven't got, given you opt-in, you have no rights to do it. Um, so let's take the example of a YouTube player. Um and I should say, by the way, the tactic that most people seem to be following is that you don't opt into YouTube and then Vimeo separately. You kind of opt into, I'm cool for this website to set functional cookies that this website vendor has, right. you know, thought of as trusted. And they should be disclosed. So you can't just randomly choose YouTube. You should have it, YouTube cookies in your, in your own cookie notice. Um, it should be there for people to read. But the, the idea, I think, is... It's balancing user experience with user control. Um, and I think the user experience is kind of going, if you're not cool with what YouTube's doing, you're probably not cool with what Vimeo's doing. Um, so I, I think it's okay to have opt-in to categories. Um, so if they haven't given you functional cookie um, control yet, and you want to put in a YouTube player, you probably shouldn't. Um, you should probably instead have a little message saying, hey, we can't show you this content. A bit like, I don't know if you've seen it on Medium, Often they'll have like a huge player, but you won't actually see the player. It'll say, um, hey, this is third-party content. Read mediums, do not track policy. Click here to show the content. Um, they do that quite a bit. I'll see if I can dig out a screenshot and attach that somewhere. Yeah. Well, and it's um, worth noting that a lot of embedded players will do that for you. Um, I, you know. I, yes. Um, I think that's okay, except on, on a large website basis, you probably want to treat classes of cookies just for our sanity as sure. the same thing um so I th think this is really interesting so i i tweeted something out which was basically like well here's the uh cookie javascript uh that i like using uh or i said yeah. gdpr compliant uh javascript and it was uh uh Cookie consent, I believe, is what it was called. Um, yeah, cookie consent by insights. It's, it's a really popular one. Right. Um, and then, and I got a tweet back. <laughs> this is where I publicly <laughs> embarrass myself, where they're saying, no, 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 that's not GDPR compliant. And then one of the, the, the tweets um, came back and he sent me what a screenshot looks like. And according to the GDPR, what he was mentioning to me was that every single type of cookie needs to be enumerated, right? So it has different categories. One is necessary, another is preferences, another is statistics, and another is marketing. And these are, and you were able to then selectively check which of these categories of cookies that you're okay with uh, accepting. And is that something that is necessary to do for the GDPR? I think so, and I think the wording there will change. Because uh, this screen, aside, I think it, this screen looks so horrible. I mean, so I, I don't have. A, I don't think it has to be ugly. I think it's <laughs> it's an important thing to note that yeah. um, when you first visit a site, you probably should be disclosing, "Hey, we're going to set cookies. This is why we're setting cookies." Mm -hmm. I think personally, I think um, I'm not a lawyer. Personally, I think that it's okay to have a button saying "Yes, accept all cookies." as long as they can read the cookie policy mm -hmm. and there's a link for them to, to manually, granularly choose those controls. But I think it's okay for the user to have a big green button saying accept all cookies right. as long as they're in control of clicking that button. 
yes. and they can read what that what that means. Because again, I'm looking at this screen, and it just looks horrendous because it's listing not just all those categories, but it's listing every single cookie that that site sets and and, and, that's and what the you details. Probably do. You probably need that in your cookie notice page at very sure. least. Okay. Um, Actually, think, let me, Andrew, I'm going to Slack you a link that you can put in the show notes. If um, one of my favorite examples of this is the EDPS, like the, the data protection supervisor for the EU. Mm-hmm. Um, and like one presumes that they're probably a, a good example to imitate. Um, and it's exactly what, what we've described. And we lost Michael again. But that's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, this is uh, Wolfgang is the one that uh, ended up tweeting this to me. And again, you know, if it if this can be tucked away into a screen, where I think they- I, th- I think it's it's really difficult one. You, yeah. you don't want to you don't want to hide it. You don't want to mislead people. You want to make people. You want to give people control. But you also don't want to scare people. Um, so maybe maybe a solution would be having like a general pop up, and one button is you know okay, give me all the cookies. Another another one is you know tell me more, and the tell me more that's then exactly shows what we're designing. Yeah, yeah the, the tell me more gives them this enumeration of what it is. I, I'm just like I'm trying to put myself in my uh, my mother's uh, shoes when she goes to look at a site, and if she had this thing pop up at her, she'd be like, would not understand. <laughs> it's a virus would not understand any of it. And just that in and of itself would scare her. Yeah, I, I think a well-designed one. And I think that's an important, it's an important discussion to have. It's, it's not just how do we comply with the law, it's how do we design with the law. Yeah. Um, a, a well-designed one would be dismissible. Um, I can, and that doesn't mean it visibly hides. It just means you can ignore it if you want. Right. Um, you could accept it all, have a nice big God mode button. Um, or you could, if you want, read into it and have granular controls. Yeah, I'm fine with uh, tracking pot, uh, tracking cookies, but I'm not fine with analytic cookies, for example. Um, I think those three routes give users a lot of control. Um, right. But as marketeers, it also allows us to have that big green button that lets us deliver the best version of the website as quickly as possible. Right. And, and here's again where it's kind of an all-hands-on-deck effort, which is like this is going to also bring your copywriters and your, your content strategists into play like how do we describe this stuff in a way that's friendly and transparent and correct mm-hmm. and unintimidating right and it's you know plain plain language here's what we use our cookies for here's the button if you want to opt out of it you know here's yeah, our cookies if you use if you watch a youtube video on our site youtube has its own cookies and we don't control those but it will ask you about them when you have the player on your screen. Like, I mean, that this is obviously not good copy that I'm spewing <laughs> up here, but like your copywriter will be able to connect the voice and tone of whatever you're building with, you know, a way to, you know, again, privacy by design. Um, yeah. Top to bottom, all hands on deck. How do we treat people right by making this stuff clear and unintimidating while still getting the technical underpinnings that we need to like make the thing work particularly for eu businesses this isn't you we've had to have these cookie notices for a while um this is we're used to this most of us have written the cookie policies that we need it's just now we have to let people have a bit more control over it previously we could go these are the cookies we set it's cool isn't it now we have to say these are the cookies we set are you cool with it um 
that's kind of the change. So this is something that as a developer, we have to keep in mind that we may be implementing a page where um, it has all of this information matrix where people can check or uncheck it and, and set their preferences, right? Yeah. So how do, how do, we, how do we do that, though? And like in order to have, let's say they don't have a login on our site, right? Like how are we going to track this unique person and their preferences? So uh, th this is where I think the categories come in useful mm -hmm. to be able to categorize it as this is functional. I uh, use some different language, but I'll continue with my one, which was functional performance and target targeting. Um, you can you can simply set a cookie for that. So this user has said, yes, we're cool with functional cookies. Yes, we're cool with performance cookies. Yes, we're cool with targeting cookies. And you only load in that content um, when they're happy. So for example, with uh, a YouTube player, for example, um, the iframe, you could change the SRC equals, and then it's the whole URL. If you change that to data, data dash SRC, it won't actually load the iframe. And you could have a little bit of JavaScript that goes, oh, check for the cookie. Oh, we've got permission. Great. Load in. Um, so you can you can use that kind of tactic to load in information as you need it. Um, so using data attributes is a good tactic. Um, if that makes sense? Yeah, that, that makes sense. But I, I guess, I don't know. Um, you know, again, to, to Andrew's earlier point, like this is probably only going to be a thing for a short time. Um, you know, like already most EU websites that I go to, if I happen to click on the cookie page, it's like, yeah, we're not even going to bother showing you the opt out controls because your browser is already giving us the do not track. So hmm. we're not tracking you. Um, and like, as that becomes more and more default, um, you know, I think I think this gets easier over time. Um, you know, but well, I guess what I was trying to get at is from a technical point of view, right? So let's say we we've got this uh, cookie matrix of different preferences, and I can pick and choose, you know, which I do want and which I don't want. Mm. Ironically, like, don't we need to track this person somehow to make their preferences stick with them? Well, this goes back to those um, essential cookies that you that you mentioned earlier. And that's so how we track them. Need, need the website to work. So yeah. we would have an essential cookie for their preferences regarding cookies. Right. I mean, the law is full yeah. of those ironies. So there's, um, there's a great bit of the law that if you, if someone's asked to be deleted, you have to remember that they've asked to be deleted. So you have to store somewhere that this person with this information has asked for the information to be deleted. So you because still else, have to be tracking them. If you store a backup, Cut a little bit, because if you restore a backup, suddenly they're back, so you need to know, oh, we need to delete this again. Huh. So you don't need to play it. You need to have a record that this person has asked for this data to be deleted, um, which makes perfect sense. It's just really unintuitive. Right. Um, Go going back, well. to, back to first principles, though, like, is the information identifiable, and are you actually storing it? Makes a difference, right? Right, because true. If you're storing someone's preferences that they've given you, that data only needs to talk to the JavaScript on your page, probably. Yeah. It, it doesn't need to ever get stored. And also, it's not identifiable information. It's a set of like privacy preferences. Right. So, so no, you're not actually tracking someone with that. You've just stored some data in their browser that's going to talk to your JavaScript when it gets executed in their browser. Yeah. Exactly that. So it's a lot less intimidating than I think... A lot of people make it out to be. Yeah, I, might be. I, th I think something that yeah. um, 
So go ahead, Audrey. I was just going to say, I might be overthinking it, but I was thinking it from of the point of view of this individual has chosen these particular settings. Um, and in this day and age where we all use, you know, tons of different devices and all that kind of stuff, um, I guess they would just have to set it on every device because they're, if, if we yeah, are yeah. just, if we are exactly. just, yeah, if we are just exactly. storing this as, well, I don't know. I mean, it, it kind of seems like I could see uh, a user getting annoyed by that. Like, oh, I already told you not to track me when I looked at your, your site on my computer. Why are you asking me about this again on my phone? I, I think know? we're used to it, at least in the EU. We, yeah. We've had this for years. Um, I, don't, I don't see that as, as an issue, um, you know, especially if you go so far as to say, hey, if you use our thing on multiple devices, you're going to have to set your preferences on all these devices unless you give us permission to save them for you. So right. can we save them for you? Right. And I, as a user, I'd be like, yeah, sure. You, you seem well-intentioned. <laughs> you, <can store, laughs> you can store my privacy settings, right? But again, so, uh, if, I, you know, there's, there's some pseudonymous, I can't pronounce this word, oh, pseudonymization, pseudonymization yeah. to it as well, right? Because if all you're storing is some, you know, ID number and a set of privacy preferences, this also probably doesn't count as identifiable information. I can't, you know, backtrack from an ID number and a set of privacy preferences and identify a living human. Right. So it's probably yeah. fine. Yeah. So I am overcomplicating it. And I think this is a, an important discussion to have because again, I think that a lot of the, you know, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. You know, I think the, the whole GDPR thing, um, Yes, there are some things that we're going to need to be doing, but it's not really the end of the world, and we have all of the technology that we need to be able to, yeah. to implement and do this stuff. You know, I think I, I think probably the the last with regards to storing data point on uh, with cookies is that as a company, particularly as the data controller, you probably want to have good documentation. So if someone makes a complaint against you, right, um, saying like, "Oh, they set all this cookie," oh, we didn't say that. If you could prove that they set cookies, that puts you in a really good place. Um, and so a lot of these solutions will track it. So I think a common technique is to store things like the IP address and the user agent and what they chose. Um, and I think you, you gave a link actually, Andrew, to um, a service. What was it called? Um, it was Paper, called Paper trail. trail, I think. Paper Trail. Um, Paper trail. Yeah. Something like that is probably quite a good idea um, yeah. with the acknowledgement that that's now a, a data processor. Um, but um, that's probably a good idea to see you have that uh, Paper Trail. For your right. referencing, so no, no, you take your first permission to set YouTube cookies. We're not being idiots. So all of this, these some of these things that we're talking about in terms of additional functionality, in terms of documentation. I mean, it sounds like when we are doing a proposal, we definitely need to keep these in mind and pad the proposal to make sure that we are covering it right. Absolutely. Yeah. So what we're doing as an agency, and I suspect this is what most agencies will do. Um, mm -hmm. Hopefully we're not the only ones because that's probably means we made a mistake um, is we were building, um, we're building a set of tools really, but GDPR compliance becomes part of it. Mm -hmm. um, and we maintain this as part of the retainer we've got with customers. Um, so we're kind of taking the view. You can use our cookie solution if you want, for as long as you're with us, it's free for you to use. Um, and it's, it, well, it's paid for as part of your retainer. Um, if you leave us, you can feel free to use another cookie policy um, software like Civic Control or something like that. 
Um, but we're using it as an opportunity to, um, first of all, make maintenance of our websites a lot easier. If we build one cookie policy system, um, we can deploy that across a bunch of sites. But also so that we know this is going to change. Um, mm. In the weeks after GDPR, we're going to have to tighten some bits and loosen other bits. Um, and if we can do it centrally, it's not such a big deal, to be honest. So we're, we're looking at it more not to inflate the initial project build, but to use it as another reason to use us as an ongoing agency. Right. Um, we're giving people these tools. This is part of the retainer package you have with us. Um, and so we're not, we're not going to be making websites more expensive. We're just going to make the retainer more um more attractive, really. Yeah, no, and and that makes sense. And and I wouldn't want to uh, couch it as inflating uh, the cost of of building a website, but more of, you know, if if this is something that is going to cost you time, uh, to keep that in mind when you are specking out a website in terms of what you Absolutely. need to do. But you you raise a really good point also that uh, this is a good sales pitch for getting clients on board with a retainer. Um, which is something we're going to be doing a podcast about shortly. Um, and I know that some agencies do this as a uh, matter of course, as some freelancers do, um, but some don't where, you know, they build the thing and then they walk away. Um, but yeah. especially when you have ever-changing laws like this, where there will need to be some kind of continual work on it. I mean, that makes a, a good case that you can make to your client to uh, secure a retainer, right? Yeah, but I, I think your, your 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 core point is really valid, though. That um, when you're doing a pitch, to do a little bit of discovery and just figure out what their GDPR compliance looks like. Every organization is going to do it differently, and right, they might right. be really strict. They might be really loose. Mm-hmm. Um, it's as web designers, um, and with our solution in particular, we're saying this is an option you can choose. It's not the option. Right. Um, and we've had plenty of clients who said to us, "No, we want to use this option instead," or "No, we're not going to do that. We're going to mm-hmm. do this." Um, and so I, I think you're right when you're pitching for a website, establish what you're getting into. Um, cause it could be that some clients really don't need much handholding with GDPR and other people expect you to be like a lawyer. Right. So, you know, kind of, uh, wrapping this up, <clears throat> I think a, a good thing for people to take away from all of this discussion about the GDPR is don't be scared of it. You know, don't be afraid. I, I think that a lot of times, not understanding something uh, ends up causing people to then be afraid of it. Um, but it's not a big, bad monster under the bed. It's some very uh, sensible uh, it's, things. It's a friendly monster under the bed. It's, <laughs> it's a friendly monster, yeah. Yeah, And, and you know, to, to that point, um, you know, I'm, I'm fond of saying when we talk tech, my favorite way to learn is to go spelunking in source code. Hmm. Um, like, if you're talking about the GDPR, Go read the GDPR. It's oh, it's actually it's okay. But here's the to. thing. Okay, here's the thing. Uh, at least read at least read the first three chapters. It's not actually very long, right? And like it's quite it's quite easy to understand. And, it's it's and, difficult to try to apply as you go. But if you right. read the like you said earlier, Mark, if you read the principles and you understand it, you can start to apply it. Right. Yeah, and this is and this is something like you don't see this a lot in the United States in U.S. laws. Um, but it's actually fairly common um, in stuff that I've read coming out of the EU is that like before they actually get to the the law, they will um, explain the principles and intentions right. of the law. And so like that's the first two chapters of the GDPR is not how to implement 
not what happens if we have to come after you, but like, what do we want? What is the goal of this and why do we care about it? And it's written very clearly and you will be less scared of GDPR if you just go read it. See, that's the thing, though. Like, I I did read, I definitely didn't read it all, but I did read the first few um, chapters. And I actually ended up, I definitely ended up understanding where they were coming from more on it. But I also ended up being frustrated because I looked at it and I said, okay, this is what it is. Where is there something that tells me what I need to do? Um, I, and I, th- I think that's where frustrations are coming from and yeah. it's uh, where confusion and myth is coming from. Right. But I mean, he, here, like, I don't know. I, I hate to like be the suck it up guy, but like <laughs> that, look, that is our job as developers yeah. is to translate business requirements into technical solutions. That is what we do. Right. And, and, you know, again, you start from first principles, like what data do I have? Why do I have it? Can I demonstrate that I need it? Can I demonstrate that the customer gave me permission or intention to have it? And what are my responsibilities if the customer comes asking, what data do you have? Can I have a copy? Please fix this thing. Please delete me. Please don't use me for direct marketing. Um, please review this algorithmic thing that happened. Um, like what are my obligations and then like make a playbook right. for that. Right. Yeah. That, like that's what, that's what we do. So in that's general, what, that's what any security person would do. And that's what any privacy person needs to do. And we as developers, like that's our job is to play a role in so that translation. In general, I, think- I agree with that. The The part where I disagree is that I, I think that we as developers should not be lawyers. Um, and we as developers should not be, um, you know, uh, the person in the corporation that is then determining what they will do. And I think that to some extent, uh, I think some freelancers are a little bit worried about that from the point of view of, you know, oh, my God. I have to figure out what all this means from a legal point of view. Um, and then I have to figure out uh, what makes sense for me to do. And then I can, then and only then can I implement something. Yeah. And I think it's important to understand that it isn't your job to be a lawyer, right? I mean, that is something that if the, if the company is large enough, they'll have their own legal team or they'll have counsel that will be, you know, interpreting this. And they will also have people that will then be setting a company policy for this stuff, right? Um, The real kind of difficulty comes in is if you're dealing with a smaller company that may not have legal counsel and may not have it on their radar to have, you know, some kind of a a corporate policy for this, especially, you know, companies in the U.S., smaller companies that may say, eh, you know, it's Europe. Well, I, I don't care. Um, and that's so where, I, I that's where you need to develop care, your, but they're not, they're not all up on it. Right. What it feels like to me is a lot of scope creep, right. I mean, among other things, but it certainly feels like a lot of potential scope creep that now all of a sudden people can say, well, but of course, Marion, this form needs to have an opt-in, right. but of course, Marion, if you're using these cookies, you need to ask people about these cookies, and then you need to deal with all the possible permutations of what mm-hmm. cookies they accepted and didn't accept. And you not only do you need a way to delete data, but you need to remember that you've deleted data so that you know you can delete it out of the backups. 
Right. It is kind of intimidating. And that's why we need to have at least some understanding of what's going on so that when we have the, we don't have a line item that says, you know, GDPR compliance when we don't know what that really translates to into the amount of work that we need to do. Um, But what I was getting at before was that for smaller companies or U.S. firms or especially freelancers that are not working in an agency and don't have people that are dealing with this, it, it does make sense for us to either look at what other people are doing or come up with our own kind of general guidelines in terms of how we're going to handle this. And then we have that, right? Kind of yeah. like uh, yeah, what Andrew uh, was saying that Mutual had done. And if the company wants to do something else, fine, but at least we have that. And to Marion's point, at least we know what it involves in terms of work to then implement that, you know? Exactly. So I think that's a really, really cool point is that um, we know what our baseline is. We can quote with our baseline. Right. And then if they ask for anything else, we know what to charge. Um, there there was one last point um, with GDPR that I think is really important that I haven't seen discussed as much as okay. if, if we still have time. We got time. Um, which is the... When you're choosing your processors, or probably for us, our sub-processors, mm-hmm. um, the US isn't on the list of countries that's acceptable. Um, <laughs> that's great. I think that's, I think that's entirely appropriate, too. <laughs> so it, the list, if anyone's interested, is the EU, obviously, so the 28 EU countries, right. um, plus Andorra, Argentina, Canada, Switzerland, the Faroe Islands, Guernsey, um, Sorry, Jersey, Israel, uh, the Isle of Man, Jersey, New Zealand, and Uruguay. Um, the USA, you can use them. Um, arguably, it's a little bit more difficult. Um, but if they're privacy shield compliance, so the EU, US, EU, US, Swiss privacy shield, I think it's called, mm-hmm. um, compliance, which means that they, it's kind of, they're more aligned to European privacy law. Um, you can start using them. So people like MailChimp, um, they're Privacy Shield compliant and they've been great with GDPR. But you probably if you're looking at a random plugin manufacturer um, who for whatever reason sends data back home, mm. that's probably quite rare. But you probably can't use them. You probably, you probably need to shop around and make sure that you're being compliant in plugins and services they use. So that's um, interesting. What about Craft CMS? So it is interesting. We we had a call with Crafts um, a few weeks ago, and they sound like they're on top of things. Um, the the concern that we raised um, was one of Craft ID, for example, mm-hmm. storing all of that personal data, billing information, what websites we control, um, email addresses, things like that. Um, that that probably should become Privacy Shield compliant, in our opinion. Uh, but I, I think that's really low on the list of things anyone's going to punish anyone for. Mm. Um, with regards to a CMS itself, I know because we're hosting it ourselves, we're in control of that. Unless data is being sent back to Pixontonic, um, they're not a processor in that instance. Um, the only thing I know that they are doing is in terms of the, the license enforcement, right? In terms of whether... Yeah, that's, that's, Probably doesn't hold any personal data, so I think we're fine there. Right, yeah, I Uh, wouldn't think so. um, So I think it's really just from their perspective, and I know that we we had a really good call with them. They're being really, really proactive and awesome about this. Um, Was just when we're signing up for things like the Crafts demo on the Craft website, just have the right opt-ins, things like that. Right. Um, 
there's not that much, um, not that much. Craft idea is probably the big one there, but I think they've got plans. Um, and so the, what will they do? Like just hold it, have a server in the EU that holds that data? Or no, how you, would they you, do don't that? To, you, you don't need to do that. You can transfer to the EU if you're Privacy Shield. And Privacy Shield is, gotcha. if anyone's at the moment there, they're interested in self-certification. Mm. It's just, as I understand it, self-certification. And just say, I promise to follow these guidelines kind of thing. It's how I understand it, but I, I'm not in the US, so I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, most most of your big your big hosting companies, your big service providers, your MailChimps, and your digital oceans, right. um, you've, you've seen them, right? Your, your, yeah. Algo, your Algolia, Google Analytics, like all of these services have been sending out emails ad nauseum. Here's all the stuff we're doing for GDPR. Here's right. the change yeah. Policy, right? You know that they're cool already. You know, and there's a website you can use if you go to privacyshields.gov. Um, you just uh, search for a company name, and it'll tell you if they're Privacy Shield or not. Right. So, so the you, only one where we've come across so far is it was some obscure CRM that a customer right. used, mm. um, and they weren't, but they wanted all the form data to be sent to the CRM, um, which obviously is not allowed. Um, I, I, I should clarify though. I, this part of the law I'm really unclear about. Um, right. And I think it's, I think the the US in particular, being such a techie company, could cause some problems right. for people. Um, did I to find the US as a company then? I meant country. You did, but it's probably not inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, I mean, the, t- the takeaway there then is that the US is not on the list, but most of the major companies that you probably are going to want to deal with uh, probably are, right? Yes, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. In, in other words, just because a company is in the U.S. doesn't make it kosher. Right. But if they have done what they need to, and most big players have, then it's fine. Yeah. You know? But but again, all of this goes, you know, to your port, uh, point, Andrew, about um, you know thinking about this ahead of time in terms of business model. And Andrew mentioned earlier. Like this all just factors into your discovery process, mm-hmm. right? It's like when you pick up a client, in addition to, you know, the questions that we're used to asking, like, what does it need to do? You just need to have a checklist for yourself. What data do I have? Why do I need it? And what are the scenarios? Yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And what are my obligations? Right? just have that checklist and, and work it into your discovery process. And, you know, you'll be fine. And use yeah, it as a absolutely. way to, uh, as I mentioned before, to pitch uh, having you on as a retainer. Because, absolutely. you know, note that these things are going to change and you need a partner uh, that is ready, willing, and able to, to do that for you, you know? Right. So, so Marion, what do you, you got anything else you want to add to all this GDPR nonsense? Um, is anything more um, clear now? Things are things are more clear. Okay. And also, I'm kind of being reminded of all of those, uh, you know, state of California cancer causing warnings. That you, <laughs> everything causes cancer. Right. Everything causes cancer because it is just easier to slap that label up everywhere than to. Right. To. Uh, but I actually, know. you, Marion, you just reminded me of something that is kind of analogous, where. Um, in the U.S., and it, you know, people outside the U.S. may not uh, realize this, but uh, the states have got a pretty decent amount of power in terms of setting legislation. And what happened in a number of areas, for instance, like the smoking ban or emissions on cars, is one of the big states like California or New York 
um, set their policy on it, and the other states kind of fell in line and ended up deciding to do the same thing. In a similar way, you know, the EU enacting these uh, these privacy regulations, they're going to be causing a lot of these companies that do business there to kind of uh, fall in line. And then all the smaller businesses are going to follow suit for all the reasons we outlined, you know? Yeah. Well, is anyone... I, mean, I, think, I think it's, I think it's for, for us, for, for our generation, um, and I'm, I'm lumping myself in with, um, with y'all, even though I'm, you know, because I've been at it for a while. Like, we started this in the age where nobody thought about all the bad things that could happen. No. If, if privacy data was was misused, right? It was so it's so it's really a culture shift for us, and I think it's like you know, I don't say older because you know everyone's forever young these days, but like for people who've been around for a while, mm. this probably seems more intimidating, like because it seems like a bunch of extra stuff we've got to do. Right. But if you look at like the younger generation of of developers, um, a lot of like they realize like the world could end based on like the stuff that I'm building and like, I need to be serious and accountable. Are you talking and, about like, the people that built Facebook? Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> and, and people who are getting, you know, it's like, you know, when you, when you're, uh, when, you're when you're building a bridge, like you expect the person building the bridge to like have some knowledge of the weight of their responsibility. Like I'm going to drive my car with my family over your bridge and it better not fall down. Right. And it's the same. It's like this whole, you know, the, the data protection directive back in 95 and now GDPR um, starts from the premise that like privacy of, of personal and family information is a fundamental human right. And that violating that fundamental human right has big consequences. And like, so we need to take it upon ourselves to do right by people right. with this stuff. And I think like when we look at it from a, you know, from a ground up, this is where we start, right? This is not a checklist that we have to pile on top of everything. Like this is step zero. Like we acknowledge the importance of this stuff and we just build it into all of our decisions. I think it becomes a lot less intimidating when we think about it like that. Yeah. And uh, Andrew, I think this has been a great discussion and, and hopefully it has helped people uh, understand the, the issues that are involved or a little bit more, but, and, and just to wrap it up, I want to uh, get into some kind of dark side speculation on this stuff. So <laughs> it sounds oh, like, <laughs> it sounds like a lot here of these, <laughs> what's that? So here we go. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it sounds like a lot of these, uh, Regulations are very well intentioned, and I, I definitely support them. Is there anything in the and, and a lot of these points are to allow people to remain anonymous on the internet? Um, is there something in here that you know people that don't want to be tracked and want to be anonymous could then potentially exploit uh, in terms of making it impossible for them to be you know they're doing horrible things and they don't want to be tracked at all? 
I think if they're doing horrible things, we're probably talking about like on tour. Right. I don't think I don't think tour sites are going to be compliant with GDPR. So they're way beyond they're that already. Go, they're way beyond. I, that I don't already. think they're going to go. It looks like you're about to hire someone to murder someone. Do you want to make some cookies? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Can we track you to sell you other stuff you might want to use when you're going to murder someone? Yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think it's yeah. going to quite work like that. Yeah. Okay. But pursuant, you know, kind of along those same lines, I do know uh, a number of people that are digital marketers and they're not going to be happy about this. And I did touch on this before, but Cambridge Analytics is not the only company that was doing this kind of stuff. They're the ones that got caught and are, you know, being very uh, castigated in uh, the court of public opinion. But there are tons of other companies that have made their living uh, you know, using this, or I, some would say, and I probably would say abusing, uh, people's information. Um, you know, I think there, those are going to be some people that are going to be unhappy about this as well. And I mean, I think frank, they will be. frankly, I, mean, I, I think I, you, I, you're right to use the word abuse. Yeah. Um, cause they don't have a right. I mean, the, the, particularly on the European convention of human rights, you've right. got a, you, I think it's article eight says you, you've got a right to a private private life you you're you're allowed to be private um and people that's also not to say that people can't see anything like people can give that information to people like facebook and google and all all people needs to do is ask and the user can say yes um i I would probably argue that long term any marketing strategy that's built on deception will be found out isn't that every marketing strategy under the sun (laughs) well gets caught out really really loudly right well i mean yeah. the the cynic in would in me would say that marketing is selling people things they don't need so you know there's some yeah that's true there, there's but some asked, did you uh, want uh, to be marketed <laughs> so it, no, i you know it, but to your original point like like abusing the fact that like you have a right to not be tracked right um we we already see a lot of kind of CYA moves mm-hmm. from providers of services that could be easily abused by anonymous people. You know, like if I want to sign up for a Mandrel account, they're like, all right, well, you don't have to give us your phone number, but you, you can't use our service unless you give us your phone number because we need a way to identify you if you abuse our service. Right. And, and to my point earlier, Andrew, um, I think we've all experienced this in one uh, sphere or another where there are certain people that if they're going to be pissed off about something, we're, we're kind of glad about it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm okay if there are certain marketers that were abusing uh, people's information. Uh, I, I'm really very okay with them being pissed off <laughs> that, they <can't> do, <laughs> that they can't do it anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I do suspect that most users, when greeted with the option, are you okay to set cookies? They're going right. to go, yes. Well, it's going to be like the EULA screens, right? Where everyone just like clicks the button to get get that thing out of their face and, and get on with yeah. what they were doing. But the, the yeah. fact that um, it is there for people who are concerned about it, and I especially like the idea of being able to ask, you know, what, it, what information do you have on me? And to be able to ask, yeah. delete it. You know, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. like that that's there. I may never use it, but I like the fact that it's there. Well, yeah, I, I suspect that we'll be looking at this next year and we'll be going, it wasn't that hard, was it? 
I mean, yeah. I think adding it retroactively is the harder part of it. Right. New sites going forward, we're going to go, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a cultural thing. We understand GDPR. We've technologically, we've figured it out. This is just another technology that we have to apply now. And it's just another thought process that we apply. Yeah. And, and um, not just that. We'll also be like, yeah, you know, we probably should have been doing it that way the whole time. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Completely agree. Well, that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmo.fm podcast. To have every episode delivered to your favorite podcast player, subscribe via our RSS feed or subscribe via iTunes or Google Play. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a review. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at devmode.fm. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Go ahead and leave us a comment on the devmode.fm website where we incidentally do not use tracking cookies. Although, wow, you know what? I need to check. We're using Discuss. I'm gonna have to. <laughs> I'm gonna have to check out my provider and make sure that they're not doing it. Anyway, for the DevMode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Marion Nullivant. I am the Wi-Fi challenged Michael Rog. And thank you again to our special guest Andrew Fairley from Made by Mutual. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. <laughs>